Here is a man who needs no introduction. Mr. Duncan, how are you? Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, sir. So let's get right to it. So there's a big conversation, right? Probably, well, one of the most important conversations um, that we've been having across America, if not the world. And the question is, do we send children back to school? That is the question. So I'd imagine that you've spent some time thinking about this. So what's your just overall thought about sending children back to school? Well, I've been talking to superintendents around the country on basically a daily basis. First of all, you and I shouldn't even be having this conversation. Had President Trump done what he needs to do in March and April and May, we would easily be going back to school. But because he denied science, um, because he just wanted he just wanted to wish this thing away, um, we've had tens of thousands of additional people die, and we're having this debate. Obviously, everybody, everybody wants to go back to school. I want my kids right. to go back to school. Teachers want to go back. Parents want their kids to go back. But obviously, the question is, is it safe? Right. Is it safe? And the most in schools aren't islands. Schools aren't bubbles. They can't do this by themselves. The most important thing we can do anywhere around the country, including right here in Chicago, is we have to reduce the number of cases in our communities. Right. We have to reduce them. So, and so if we do that, then we, then we give our children a chance to go back to a physical school. If we don't do that, we take away that option from superintendent. Who makes that choice? Um, ultimately, the local school districts do. So we've seen in places where the, where the virus is spiking in California. You've seen in just in the past couple of days, um, L.A. is not going back physically. Uh, San Diego is not going back physically. Yesterday, San Francisco announced that. Um, we haven't had an announcement here in Chicago. Um, cases are up a little bit here. And again, we would love to have, you know, in a perfect world, you know, two straight weeks of declining cases um, before you go back to school. Yeah. Under what circumstance can um, some of some level of government impose their will on a local school district? That, that, that's a good question. President Trump has zero ability. So don't listen to him. He He's a, you know, he's a bully. Um, he can't can't bully well this. President Trump can't make anyone go back to school. This is a local decision. The fact that he's talking about taking away money is just absolutely crazy. Um, they should be talking. We need an investment for the federal government of between 150 and 200 billion dollars um, into our local schools to make them safer, to get PPE, to hire additional custodians and cleaning products. I would love to see a massive, massive tutoring program. We have lots of kids who have fallen behind due to, due to what we call the COVID slide, you know, missing some school in, in March and April and May and June, and then summer slide. And we're going to have some students and often our most vulnerable kids who are going to be six, seven, eight months behind going back this fall. Yeah. So they should, be, uh, they should be investing. And I said this on TV. I don't say this lightly or easily. President Trump truly does not care if our children, if our teachers live or die. He does not care. Luckily, we have great local officials who live in the community who do care, and they're going to do the right. They're going to make the right decision. Yes, educationally, but first and foremost for our kids, for our custodians, for our teachers, for our lunchroom attendants, for our bus drivers, for our principals, for our parents. They're going to make the right decision for all of those folks. Are we prepared to stay at home? Well, nobody, nobody really wants to stay at home, and um, I don't think we're ever fully prepared. And I think the goal should be. You know, there are three options right now, and every school district is planning for three. One is the most optimistic that everybody goes back to school. Um, the second is that no one goes back to school. And the third is what we call a hybrid, something in the middle. And while we would all love everyone to go back to school, that's probably going to be really difficult. 
So in the hybrid situation, you've got to be really thoughtful. Um, it, I think it's much harder for younger kids, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, first and grade, to be on you know, video all day. So we might have to prioritize younger kids to go back and maybe high school kids go back uh, later and you use that high school space for, you know, to do, to do different things. You got and then you gotta be really, really thoughtful here, not just at the, you know, district level, but the school level. Let me just give you a couple of examples. You might have a teacher with, with pre-existing conditions um, who might not be able to go back and that teacher will have to teach virtually and we need to accommodate that. Um, secondly, you might have a child who, they might be healthy, but they might be being raised by grandma, grandfather, and uh, and uh, we're worried about their safety. So that child may not be able to go back physically, and we got to accommodate them. You might have another child whose parents or, or parent is an essential worker and has to be working, so that child has to be in school. So we have to have that level of detail, that level of thoughtfulness, that level of compassion. This is not just at the district level, but at the school level, the grade level. How do we try and find that right balance between all of these different issues that we're looking at? So I like to empower the parents, right, and inform the parents. So so for those parents who may fall on either side, what can they do to um, sort of put forth what their position is in terms of their child returning to school? So is that yeah. pressure put directly on the um, the local superintendent? Yeah, yeah, yes. That's that's exactly the right conversation to be having. And, and many many school districts are actually surveying parents. And parents are, you know, most most parents are like, I want my kid to go back, but I'm a little scared about it. And so, yes, talking to parents. And I think for me, I would say the goal is not to open schools. The goal is to keep schools open. And what we don't want is to open schools and two weeks later have to shut everything back down. That re-traumatizes kids. And we've seen that with states that have opened up too quickly. That's exactly what's happened. Yeah. So, um, um, I, I, you know, what I say is this, this is not about fast and furious. This is about slow and steady. Yeah. Let's I, take our time. If you think about a light switch, this is not an on-off. It's like a dimmer. Let's do it carefully. Let's do it thoughtfully. And if if we do that and if we can do the right thing in the community, continue physical distancing, wearing masks, doing all those things, then over time we can bring more and more students back into physical school buildings. Right. It's also more so or uh, more over, actually more so, a conversation about, or at least it should be about educating children and developing, continuing the development of children. So you can go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I apologize. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that because I think a lot of the conversation now is, is becoming politicized to be quite honest. I mean, it's sort of framed, you know, under the, in, in, within the rubric of children and going back to school. But I think the children and the ultimate goal of their education and development is being left behind. So no matter what may happen, I think we're going to have challenges with respect to educating our children. And I, and even if the schools quote unquote open, a lot of children are going to stay home. I think we can probably, you know, and Lord knows what that number may be. How do we make certain, and of course, you know the audience of WVON, to the extent that children in the inner cities stay home or underserved communities or in poor communities, white, black, brown, whatever they may be, I'd imagine that those, those students are less prepared than other students for the challenge of in-home schooling. So, like, what responsibility do we have to make certain that they do not fall behind and then my second part of the question is, what have we done? And let, I want you to share with me what you were able to do when you were secretary of education to prepare us for a moment to virtually educate children. 
Yeah, so those are exactly the right questions. Let me answer a little bit more broadly. So yeah. the, first, the first goal here is we have to take care of people's health and safety. Like no one ever shut down schools. When I ran the Chicago Public Schools for seven and a half years, kids used to get mad at me. We never had a snow day. We never had a strike. I never, we never missed a single day of school. And that was so important to me, not just educationally to your point, but because we fed lots of kids two and even three meals a day because school was often the safest place they were. And so I you know, was really proud of that. Um, learning virtually is, for a few kids, it's better. But to your point, for more, more, most kids, it's harder. And we're just, we're naturally social beings. We want to be around other kids. We want to be around teachers. So this is a really, really difficult thing. So what the district here has done well is you have to have access to, to uh, computers, to Wi-Fi, to the Internet. And the district has given out 100,000 computers. And I actually, you know, when we do go back physically, I want students to keep learning online. The idea that kids just learn, you know, while they're in a physical school building, five days a week, you know, six or seven hours a day, that, 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 that era is gone. And children need to be able to learn anything they want, anytime, anywhere. And this world is a, is a tech-driven world. And so having our students grow up, being able to, to learn things, look them up and find their passion, find their genius, um, that's so important. I think for parents, this is a really stressful time. They're trying to work. They're trying to manage their kids. It's a really hard time. I'll tell you, it's been real hard for my wife and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but parents have to, have to you know, stay with their children keep talking to them, keep working this thing through as a family. This is a time of, of really high stress. Everybody's struggling. This is just a dark time in our nation's history made, made worse by a president who truly doesn't care. And so um, giving each other a bit of a break, taking care of our, our, our mental health. You know, what are we doing to get out and, you know, walk, go for a walk, whatever, walk, work out a bit. Um, all those things are important. But having parents stay with kids, um, keep talking to them, keep working with them. That's, I always say that's important anytime, but it's more, more important now than ever. I'll always say that parents are our children's first teachers. <laughs> they'll always be their first teachers, yeah. and they'll always be their most important teachers. Yeah. Um, this is not an ideal situation, but we also have to, it's, you know, this is too important. Our kids have to be educated, so we have to do everything we can to keep working with them. And there are things online. I'll just give you one example called Khan Academy, K-A-H-N, that's free. It's been there for years. My, my, my kids have done it. And um, you just, you know, you go through the different lessons and you can move at your own pace. And there are resources like that that don't cost, you know, a penny that I think, again, whether we're in a physical school or in a virtual world that help kids. And for me, the goal is not just to help kids catch up if they're behind. I want to accelerate kids. You know, I want more kids going to college. I want more kids, you know, being really successful. So the goal for me is not to get back to average. The goal is how do we somehow move forward in this really difficult time? Mm-hmm. How, were, how, did, how did you prepare for the um, virtual educational environment. Now, I, I, my position is despite the fact that, you know, this unexpected pandemic, you know, pushed us to, to potentially, um, uh, well, no, not potentially, because they were virtually educated uh, the last half of last school year. But how do we prepare ourselves for this moment, no matter how it occurred? Yeah, so, so a, a couple of different things. One, to your point, is we have to get devices into, into kids' hands. And what we did when I was at CPS is we got a lot of computer, a lot of technology into schools. Um, but going back 10, 15 years, you know, we didn't anticipate this. and We didn't get devices into, into children's homes. And uh, Janice Jackson, the current superintendent, has done a great job of getting 100,000 devices um, out there. To your point, virtual, physical, um, we have to empower parents. So listening to parents helping parents with their own education, helping parents to teach their children, you know, how to read, teaching them to work with their homework, uh, work on their homework. 
Um, that's so important. I think the biggest thing here, too, is just that our goal has to be not just to graduate from high school, but the goal for every child has to be some form of higher education and being clear on those expectations. If you know so well, if you have just a high school diploma, well, first of all, if you drop out, it's almost impossible, unfortunately, to say to get a good job in the legal in the legal economy. Mm. Um, if you just have a high school diploma, um, it's difficult. So some form of education, four-year university, two-year community college, trade technical vocational training, that has to be the goal for every single child here in Chicago and across the country. And pandemic, no pandemic, that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. Yeah, the, but I'm just going back, like, the conversation around the necessity to incorporate technology into the learning experience of all students and in particular of bringing poor black and brown students into the 21st century and, and equipping them with the Internet, with the laptops, with the tablets. That conversation has been going on for quite some time. So, like, in your role as secretary of education and given your participation in the um, educational economy. Have we failed poor black and brown students um, in terms of being prepared for this moment? I think we have a long way to go. Your point's a really, really good one. I think we have a long way to go. And just as you want children to be able to read and write, you want them to be tech savvy. Yes. And not everyone has to work in the tech space, but that's like the new literacy. Um, I want every child to be financially literate. You know, financially, sadly, I always say it doesn't care, I don't care how much money you make. If you're spending more than you make, you're still going to be broke. You yeah. know, how do you manage your money? So there's a series of the world has changed. And so your points are really well taken. And, and have we done enough anywhere? Uh, Chicago, across across uh, our city? Uh, no, we haven't. We haven't. And we have to continue to do more to expose young people um, to these to these uh, skills, to give them the internships, the mentorships. Um, we're we're you know, it's a tough job market. Where are they always hiring, you know, in, in the tech space, in the yeah. tech space. That's exactly right. And so we have to continue to do more. And, again, not every child is going to want to do that. That's not, you know, that wasn't my passion. Um, but they have to be exposed to it. And they have to, you know, figure out, is that, their, is that what they love? Is that their genius? And they're going to have a lifetime of high-wage, you know, good-paying jobs uh, contributing um, if they have those skills. You're exactly right. And we have not done enough, and we need to do more. Yeah, this is my, this is my take. This is my bend. Like, I see this as an opportunity. It's unfortunate that the pandemic caused us to confront our lack in terms of education, right? But we've always known that there was a lack in education, particularly with poor black and brown students and white and white, poor people, poor people, white, black, brown, does not matter. And so now pandemic is here and all of a sudden it's an emergency. We, we may have to learn at home. But I can recall 10 years ago, people were saying, well, we have to equip, you know, each household uh, Bernie Sanders, each household should have Internet service. No child should be denied. We should make certain that technology is there. So we should have been prepared. Right. So, OK, so this is our opportunity now to prepare ourselves. What resources are available for us to prepare ourselves? Um, well, I'll, I'll just build on your point first. That what I've been saying repeatedly is for me, the goal is not to go back to normal because normal didn't serve too many children yeah. well. We have to create a new normal. And I'll just say a couple different things on this. The first thing is um, what I call right now, how do you pass algebra? You pass algebra if you sit in a classroom, you know, in a classroom, you know, every day, five days a week for, for nine months. Um, that's what I call seat time. 
you should pass algebra when you know algebra. That might be after two months. <laughs> that right. might be after three months. It might take you 12 months. And you, you're learning this stuff, again, online. You can be tested online. So I want to move from competency to seat time. Um, secondly, the school calendar doesn't make any sense. Why do we have summers off? It's because people used to work in the fields 100 years ago. Not too many kids are working in the fields anymore. Right. Um, when you have kids that are behind, to your point, we have kids that are struggling. We have kids that need more help. They should be in school 11 months of the year, 12 months of the year. And kids don't like when I say that, but that's really, really, really important. Right. Um, we just think about time very, very differently. Um, who cares about the school year now? We just want kids learning. And we got kids, to your point, who are really far behind. We got to think about that very differently. Um, third, um, across the country, these are bigger picture stuff that you know I continue to be just unbelievably frustrated by. So much of the funding for public education comes from local property taxpayers. Yep. So by definition of the children of the poor gets less spent on them than the children of the wealthy. When I ran Chicago Public Schools, we actually sued. We sued the state because children who happened to be born, you know, eight, nine, ten miles north of us in Winnet and Wilmette um, got twice as much spent on their education every single year relative to our kids in Chicago. It is absolutely crazy. And we lost that suit, but it was the right thing to do and um, made some, some progress there. And so you know, those are all the types of things, you know, how do we think differently about time? How do we get access to technology? How do we keep empowering parents? Um, how do we make sure that we're investing in our poor communities, white, black, brown, whatever it might be, Chicago, L.A., D.C., but also, you know, Appalachia, Native American reservations? Oh, yeah. um, we need to reinvent. We need to reimagine. Just as we're trying to do it with the police, we got to do the same thing with education. Right. What, what models are available for us to look at and potentially mimic? Um, in, in terms of virtual learning or, or yeah. in terms of what? Comprehensive. Yeah, yeah. Virtual being a component of it, given the 21st century. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, a, there's a lot out there. So there are lots of, you know, that's the one thing that um, you know, technology you know, can do is really democratize education, create access. So there's a ton of content out there. I just gave you one example, Khan Academy. That's a right. great one for kids. But there's you can take college-level classes or things called um, MOOCs, Massive Online Learning, that's basically free where you can learn what you want. So this is a time to really explore. And, again, every child has a different interest. Every child has a different skill. And we just got to continue to find out, you know, what's our, what's our child's, you know, what, what do they love? What's their passion? And this is, to your point, it, it is a time to, to reinvent. It's a time to pursue, our, you know, our dreams, our goals. It's a time to learn differently. And you think about, I mean, just one example, in, in art class, you typically, you know, draw or paint, and that's great. But now you can take a virtual tour of the Met, you know, like right. it's a different, we can open up our world a little bit. You take virtual tours of every college, you know, in America now. So yeah. stuff we, that's been there, um, it's not newly created, we just haven't had access to or haven't thought about. Um, now's the time to just, you know, take a virtual tour with your child of a college campus or yeah. 10 college campuses, see what they think, have that conversation. Uh, visit the Met virtually together, see what that's like. Yeah. Um, to your point, this is a chance to, to do something a little bit different. Yeah, that's how I view it. Who's quarterbacking yeah. this? Like, some, like I, I get it, it's the local um, school districts. But I think this one is, you know, I mean, is is this not too big to just rely upon the local school district well, or it, otherwise? It, should, it, it shouldn't be, and I have to jump off after this. Sorry, I apologize. I have to yep. jump on a call at 7.30. But, no, this is where the, it's just the, la the lack of leadership coming from D.C. has been devastating has been devastating. So you have, you know, folks from the outside, myself and others trying to step into that leadership void, but 
the Department of Education should be helping here. They're a huge part of the problem, and they're threatening to take money away from schools when they should be investing a massive amount of money at the federal level. So this is not, yes, it started as a pandemic, but let me be really clear. In my mind now, this is a man-made disaster. It's a catastrophe because our government, our president, has refused to take it seriously. And so that's what's so heartbreaking to me. We should not be having this conversation. Yeah, Had we done the right thing, so we should just be going back to school. Yeah, I think it's a systemic failure. You know, yeah, like, I, I think the president, you know, let's put it on the president. Let's put it on ourselves as parents. I put it on, you know, I, I put it on past administrations. I, I, you know, I put it on all of us, including me. I put it on mm-hmm. me because here I am an educated man, and I understand the value of education, and I can do more. I think this yeah. is the time for all of us to pull our resources together and educate kids. We, we have to, amen, and we all have to look in the mirror and figure out what we, what we can do better, what we must do better. Yeah. You're exactly right. All right, sir. Thanks for uh, joining us. This is former Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan. Have a good day, sir. Thanks for for having me. Have a great day now. No problem. Bye.